Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. We've got a lot of ground to cover, so if you're ready to go, say, I'm ready. All right, uh, we're going to be still in John chapter 1 as we continue this series looking at John's purpose for writing this gospel, which is so that we, or so that you, may believe in the risen Jesus. And we just sing, sing about the Lamb of God. So last week we looked at John and how he is uh, consistently and constantly pointing to Jesus. Not pointing to himself, pointing to Jesus and saying, Behold the Lamb. That's his sermon. Behold the Lamb. And uh, today we're going to look at some of the first encounters that Jesus has with his first disciples out of John chapter uh, 1. It's kind of like when you, last week we talked about when you go to a concert and you enjoy the concert, but you also really enjoy the opener. Well, there comes a point in every opener set where they say, hey, who's excited to see the headliner? And then you totally forget about the opener because it's all about why you went to, to, to go to the concert. So this is what that is. John is going to step aside so that the main act can come into play. And that is Jesus. So uh, today, the phrase I want to put before you is this, trust the process. And the game plan is to do this. We're going to look at these encounters. We're going to draw out some significant factors about them and then look at their response and see what we can uh, get from that. Sound good? Cool. I'm glad you're here this morning. Uh, to, to start things off, we're going to look at these encounters. Um, if you've ever seen this TV show called The Chosen, anybody? A little bit? Uh, it's excellent, but um, they have a scene that actually depicts the process of John writing his gospel and talking to some of the disciples so that he can get a bunch of information. And uh, today we're going to look at three, uh, four disciples, uh, Peter, well, Andrew, Peter, Philip, and Nathaniel. And this is a scene from that show that depicts John actually interviewing three of those disciples um, about this very passage. So let's watch this clip. That is just conjecture, but I think it gives us a cool insight into uh, how this gospel was written, and especially into those encounters. So uh, that was Peter, and then Nathaniel, and then Andrew, sitting next to his brother, Peter. And um, I love that clip because of Peter at the end. He like has to have the attention on himself. That's very much Peter and his personality. So uh, we're going to look at those uh, few encounters starting in John 1, verse 35. Uh, the next day again, John the Baptist was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, not I'm eating a new bug, behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and follow Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon. And said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Okay. First thing you want to draw your attention to is right at the, at the very top. John, the Baptist, is still doing what he does. He's still doing his thing, which is 
preaching this very simple message. Behold the Lamb of God. He doesn't have any quit in him. The next day, again, he is still preaching. And he does it in a very unique way. Uh, one that maybe like the church you grew up in, where they have like an altar call, right? You remember these altar calls where it says, come down here and respond. John's is so different. He's, he's look over there. Look away from me. Meaning that John, he becomes transparent to, him, to the message. He becomes transparent to uh, the person that he's been clearing away for. He understands his role so perfectly. He understands his role so well. And this should be really the goal of every Christian as we operate and as we go in the world. To become transparent to who Jesus is. It's not what I have done plus what Jesus has done. It's all about what Jesus has done. John freaks out. Looks, behold the Lamb of God. Every Christian to the Christian, that's our goal. I, like, like, no spoilers for this text. That's our goal. Become transparent to who Jesus is. So he, uh, he says this very short sermon, Behold the Lamb of God. And who are the two people that respond? It's his people, his two friends, his two disciples, his followers. And it's amazing they hear that very short sermon and on five words, leave their whole lives behind. On five words, they leave their whole lives behind. So uh, John's method or task of sharing, of, of sharing this news of the coming kingdom, his proclamation of that kingdom, does not serve his pride. He's transparent. So our proclamation cannot and does not serve our own pride does not serve our own pride. It is behold, it's look on him, it's gaze upon him. For John, the two, that, uh, the two people that responded are his own people. And Jesus, well, they, they start following Jesus, right? And they follow him at just enough of a distance that Jesus notices and he turns around. This is like when you're at the store and you, you're walking next to this person. And before long you realize we're going to the same place and it gets awkward. Y'all with me? And then you decide to do the kind thing, which is to hold back and maybe look like you're looking at something else while they do their thing. Yeah? This is what, this is what happens to us. These disciples don't care. They're going to follow Jesus close enough. He's like, okay, what's going on? Like, who's following me? He says, what are you seeking? And they answer his question with a question of their own. You see it in there? Rabbi, where are you staying? There's a lot going on there. Rabbi, where are you staying? First, let's look at that word rabbi. These guys have been following John the Baptist. So they sort of understand what it means to have a rabbi. They sort of understand what it means to follow somebody and follow closely in their footsteps. For you and me, what does it mean to follow somebody? It means you click a button on your phone. And it means whenever I want to, I can engage with what their stuff is. That is not what their understanding of follow is. Their understanding of follow is, I'm going to walk in your literal footsteps 24-7 all the time. It is total and complete commitment to their rabbi, to their teacher. So they already, you can already get a sense of who they see Jesus as after that five-word sermon. Behold the Lamb. Okay, rabbi, teacher, you are our guy. We are going to follow you. It's a huge term of respect that they have. And then they ask, where are you staying? Why do they ask that question? 
In my mind, it's this. It's trying to get into the brains of these disciples as they're encountering Jesus. In my mind, it's them saying, our plans are already set. We have already decided who you are. So we're thinking way ahead. We want to know where you're going. Where are you staying? Wherever you go, we're going. And whenever you go there, we are going with you. That's these disciples. First response to Jesus. They've already decided who he is. We are coming with you wherever you go, whenever you go there. So Jesus says, come and you will see. Come and you'll see. And then John gives us the time of day. That's kind, but why? Why would he give us the time of day? It shows us something interesting. It's, uh, you see that it says that it was about the 10th hour. So they spent the day with him, and then into the late afternoon, they spend the, they spend the night with Jesus. Can you imagine this? It's incredible, because we don't get a record of what happens in here. But what do you think they talked about that whole evening? Because here's what we do know. At the end of this, first thing next morning, Andrew is going to get up and he's going to go find his brother and bring him to Jesus. So what did they talk about that would be so impactful to Andrew that it's going to send him on this brand new mission with a brand new desire, brand new passion? I don't know what they talked about. Like, what is your burning question that you can't wait to ask Jesus someday? What's the deal with the dinosaurs? Those kind of questions. They got to ask Jesus all of this stuff. And can you imagine Jesus, if he had a Bible like this one, (laughs) pick up the Bible and say, you see this verse in Genesis 1, 1? I was there for that. Like, oh my goodness. The, The level of awe that must have been going on for those two disciples. I can't even wrap my head around it. So they spend the evening with Jesus and then... First thing, first thing next morning, what does Andrew have to do? He's got to get up and he has to go get uh, his brother. He's got to go get his brother. This is an act of obedience. Proclamation has to be an act of obedience. Obedience to who Jesus is, but also what he does in your heart. Whatever they talk about is enough to send Andrew on a brand new mission. Jesus says this, that it's, you come and you will see. I want you to see that it's a command followed by a promise. And Jesus teaches like this all the time. This is what he says a few chapters later in John 6. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Thirst. You'll never hunger. You'll never thirst. But first, you have to come. First, you have to believe. So Jesus is consistent from day one. Sentence number two. What are you you seeking? Okay, come and you will see. That following him first and seeking Jesus first is a step of obedience. How many of us have ever wanted a little bit of Jesus without the obedience part? Without the difficult part, if we're being honest. It's like we have this thought, okay, Jesus, will you give me this new experience? Or will you give me this fresh encounter? And then I will be different. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. That's not how it works. You want to be different? Step into me. Step into obedience. Step into what I have to offer you. And then transformation comes. So this proclamation begins with obedience. Seeking him takes obedience. 
And this is an invitation to a kind of life that these disciples, they cannot even begin to dream for themselves. They cannot fathom what is going to come after they step in to follow Jesus. They have no idea. And that is what makes obedience, obedience. You don't step into it so that you can know the outcome. You don't step into it for the outcome. You step into it because of who Jesus is and he is Lord. That's what obedience is. So Andrew, he has a new desire. He has this new passion and then he's gotta go and he has to go get his brother. It says first thing. First thing, he goes and finds Simon, and he brings him to Jesus, and what Jesus says is incredible. He says, you are Simon, the son of John, and you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So keep this in mind. We know who Peter is as the reader, right? Like, play, play, Peter's, play his life in your brain for two seconds, right? We know his ups, we know his deep struggles, but we also know at the end, he's going to be the most influential figure in the early church huge figure for the kingdom we know that peter in this moment did not simon didn't know this andrew doesn't know this but jesus does so in in the luke's in luke's account of this interaction peter puts up a little bit of a fight with jesus i don't want to do what you want me to do by the end of that interaction peter is on his knees before jesus if you remember that story so combine that image of jesus of peter on his knees before jesus and this sudden name change. And you can arrive to the point that I think John is trying to give us with this. It is that Jesus knows who you are, but he also knows who you are going to become. Which means that Jesus has the authority and the freedom to change your identity. Sometimes without an explanation. Sometimes without even a warning, without even a word. Jesus has the authority to change our identity. So the result of seeking Jesus, you can see this on the screen for Andrew and Peter. The result that they have, number one, Andrew has a new desire, a new passion, a new mission. I'm going to go go and get my brother and bring him into here. I want him to be part of this. Um, and and it, it, think about this. It's after one interaction with Jesus. Got to get up and go. And then number two, Peter, he has a brand new name. He has a brand new identity. And his identity is not found in who he is in that moment. His identity is found in who Jesus is going to make him. His identity is found in who he is going to become because of Jesus. What a security that we can latch on to. That Jesus does not see you and base his love for you on your right now. He, his love for you is found in him totally in him, towards you and in what he is going to do in your life and through your life. So Jesus can change your identity. So Andrew and Peter, they both have unique ways that they respond to Jesus. Behold the lamb, very short sermon. And now Jesus is taking these things about Andrew and Peter, these two brothers, and he's undoing them. It's crucial for, for this passage. He's undoing them so that they can be um, uh, transformed and changed and called to something so much bigger than themselves. Let's keep going. Verse 43. We're going to meet two more disciples. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, 
Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened, and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So, finally, we get an invitation from Jesus. What's the word? Two words. Follow me. It's not, this is who I am. This is the information you need to know. Philip gets two words. Follow me. I want to point this out to you, that Philip's obedience is immediate. It's also urgent. It's immediate and urgent. He doesn't ask Jesus, hey, okay, so... Andrew got to spend the night with you. Can I go to your place and ask you some questions? (laughs) Can I get to know you a little bit? What am I getting myself into? That's not Philip. Philip immediately, what does he do? He goes to find his friend, Nathaniel. He goes to find his friend, Nathaniel. And he gives Nathaniel way more information than anybody has gotten so far. Way more information And where does that information come from? Because he got two words from Jesus. Follow me. Where does all of this stuff, he's talking about Moses, he's talking about prophets, Jesus of Nazareth, he's mentioning his dad. Where is all this coming from? He's a Jewish man. He's been sitting on this information his entire life. Waiting for this man who Moses talked about and who the prophets talked about and he's going to come from Nazareth he's going to be a Nazarene like he has been sitting on this his entire life waiting for this man to show up it's like when you open a soda can it's just all this pressure just it's got to come out and these words just spill out of him to his friend Nathaniel check this out look who we have found we have found him we have found the guy and Nathaniel, he's got, some, uh, uh, he's got some concerns and he's got some assumptions about Jesus' legitimacy. So he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And this is amazing. Philip, he's in the game. He already understands what's going on because it's not, he understands. It's not his job to answer those questions. What does he say? Find it. He gives a very familiar invitation. He just says, come and see. Philip is the guy, he's the old friend of yours that comes up and says, I have a secret. I have a big secret. And you say, what is it? He goes, I'm not going to tell you. (laughs) Or he's the guy that sneaks up behind you and covers your eyes and says, guess who? And he never tells you who. That's who Philip is. And he's just like, just come. Just come and see. I'm not going to explain this to you. So Philip, Nathaniel, gets this invitation. Come and see. And Jesus, before Nathaniel can even get close, Jesus knows him. And Jesus um, identifies him. Find verse uh, 47. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him. He knows him from a distance and says, Behold an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. What's Jesus saying there? He's saying this. This is somebody who tells it like it is. You ever been told that? 
This is somebody who has maybe integrity. Jesus knows Nathaniel's character really, really well. You are someone who just says it like it is. And that is enough for Nathaniel to say this question, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Okay, so what's going on under this fig tree? We don't know. Never found out. But Nathaniel's response to this knowledge that Jesus has is not insignificant. What does he say to him? You are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Um, have you ever been out in public and then somebody later says, Hey, I saw you at this place earlier. It happened to me last weekend. Somebody was in line at the drive-thru behind me. And they put their head out the window and said, Jared. I said, who is it? And uh, you know what I didn't say? <laughs> you must be the son of God. Like, you're the king of Israel. <laughs> like, that's not weird. To say you are up at a place and I saw you at a place. That's not weird. What would be weird is if you were intentionally and certainly alone somewhere. And maybe what you were doing was hidden. You didn't want anybody to see it. And yet that is what Jesus says. I saw you. I saw you. It would be weird if somebody said to me, hey, I saw you over there, and this is the song you were listening to, and this is what you're reading, detail after detail after detail. Jesus, he has prior knowledge. He knows him intimately. But he also saw what he was doing under the fig tree. And it was significant enough, those two things combined, that is significant enough for for Nathaniel to say, you are the son of God. Which means this, that Jesus certainly knows our inner condition, intimately. Which makes Jesus the best friend you could ever ask for. Knowing our inner condition. This supernatural knowledge that he has about the fig tree, mixed with this intimate and personal knowledge that Jesus has for Nathaniel, invites Nathaniel into a relationship where, and this is true for us, there's no point in hiding your true self from Jesus. There's no point in hiding who you really are. The question, what are you seeking? Jesus knows the answer to that question for us. Jesus knows the answer to that question. So verse 50 comes around. says, Basically, you think that's cool? That's nothing. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and angels, miraculous things happening. This is, again, an invitation to a life that Nathaniel could never imagine for himself. He could never even fathom it for himself. And it's an invitation to something that is so much bigger than just him. So much bigger than just him. So Jesus knows us intimately, but he also has this huge and cosmic plan uh, for us that we get to experience with him. So these four guys that all have a very unique experience and interaction with Jesus. Andrew, he's got a new desire. I got to go get Peter. Peter, he's got a new identity. He's got a brand new name. We don't hear a lot from him in this account, but he's got a new identity. Philip, immediate obedience and urgency. I've got to go get my friend. 
And I tell him about this. Maybe he's wondering. Maybe he's been searching for this. And then Nathaniel, he has this total vulnerability before Jesus. Understands. There's no point in trying to hide it. There's no point in wearing a mask. There's no point in wearing a Christian costume that looks like one thing on the outside but is not on the inside. No point in playing that game with Jesus because he knows my inner condition. So uh, I love Nathaniel's total vulnerability in this. And the fact that Jesus knows him so well that Nathaniel, all of the assumptions he had about being from Nazareth or whatever, those things are dropped. They dissolve. How do you know me? Which validates Jesus' opinion of him. Love Nathaniel. He's fascinating to me. Um, all of them have these unique responses, but there's one thing that all of them have in common, and that is that these are simple men. Simple men. Maybe even nobodies. At least two of them are fishermen. Philip is from the same town as, the, as Peter and Andrew, which means they might be cut from the same cloth. They could be co-workers. They could be friends. Um, these are simple guys. 1 Corinthians chapter 1.26 sheds light on why God does this. This for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. That no human being might be able to boast in the presence of God. So Jesus chooses these simple men. He chooses the humble ones to begin his ministry. Just like John, he's humble, he's transparent. He invites them to begin this ministry with him so that the glory of God can be put on display. Not the glory of God plus their ability or plus their status or plus their uh, nobility or their talent. It is purely God transforming a simple person into somebody who truly changes the world. So what's the point of that? The point is this, that Jesus can use us in our weakness and Jesus can use us despite our strength. Meaning sometimes Jesus can reach down and elevate you. Other times Jesus has to humble you. And Jesus can use you in your weakness. Which means we do not have to be able we don't have to be able to dig ourselves out of struggle. We don't have to be able to dig our, ourselves out of weakness. What do we have to be? We have to be vulnerable. We have to be true. We have to be honest before Jesus, who knows who we are, but who knows our inner condition. And we have to be able to say, Lord, you know me because you created me. That's how you know me. And I can be vulnerable before you because you are the greatest the greatest that God has to offer. You are the greatest friend. You are the greatest source of security and support for me, Jesus. So, uh, looking at these four guys, yes, they have unique interactions, as all of us do, with Jesus. But what is common is that Jesus takes all of our uniqueness, and this is what makes church family church family, is that he takes all of our uniqueness and boils it down to one common purpose, one common goal. One common um, mission in the church, and that is the proclamation of this uh, kingdom. Here's the thing. When we look at ourselves, I feel like when, when, we, when we think about what does Jesus want from us, or this question, what are you seeking? If the answer to that question is anything other than, well, I'm seeking Jesus, I'm seeking your presence, uh, then we're walking down this path that says, okay, Lord, 
I want you plus this. Or I want you plus me. It's a really good way to tell who is Lord of my life. Do I want Jesus plus uh, something? So, struggle. I think about Nathaniel with this. He has this vulnerability before the Lord. If we want to have that kind of vulnerability, um, that means we can look at our own struggle and say, okay, Jesus sees me in my weakness, but he also sympathizes with me in my weakness. He totally and completely understands my struggle. He even validates my struggle. But the great news about Jesus, what makes him such a good father, is that he doesn't leave you there. Jesus doesn't look at your vulnerability and say, thanks for that, good luck. No. Jesus looks at your vulnerability and says, well, he says in John later, 14, that I will not abandon you as orphans. That's great news, right? I will not abandon you as orphans. Jesus, Jesus moves. Jesus responds to our deepest longings. He responds to our deepest um, sores or even our hidden insecurities. Jesus can see those, and he is the one that can lift us out of that weakness. Jesus is the one that can lift us out of that and say, guess what? You're not fatherless. You are not fatherless, and I am a good father. So, in closing today, I said at the beginning, trust the process. What is the process? It's very short. Number one, your response to Jesus. Think back to your first love, first time you came to Jesus. Where were you? How old were you? Think back on that. First time you accepted the gospel. What what is your response to who Jesus is? And that's it. To his identity. To who Jesus is. What is your response to that? For these four men, they had very different interactions. They had new desires. But everything about them was undone so that they could be changed and transformed and um, and then called to something so much bigger than themselves. So your response is the first step. And our response has to be what? A step of obedience. Has to be a step in obedience. So really, when we think about this, your response to Jesus, you can ask a follow-up question. Uh, Who do I follow? Who do I follow? And if your answer to that question is me, or maybe if your answer to that question is no one, you might look in a mirror. Or, yeah, maybe it is somebody that you actually like literally tapped, follow. Whoever your source is, who do I follow? If you want to get a really good look at uh, who you follow or what or who might be the Lord of your life, you can look at how you spend your time, you can look at where your mind is occupied, and you can look at your resources, which is the kind way of saying your money. Time, mind, and money. Where do those things go? Where do those things hang out? That could be the Lord of your life. It could be the thing that's ruling you. So, your response, follow-up question. Who are you following? So your response, if, if, if your response to Jesus is one of trust, I have put my trust in Jesus, then you have a second step today. But if not... If you have not taken that step, if you have not responded to who Jesus is and, and latched yourself onto him, 
then this, this, is the, uh, this is the end of the sermon, per se, for you. And I'm really, really, really glad you're here. And this is the invitation to step in in obedience. Not wait for Jesus to do something miraculous so that then you'll be different. It is, no, I'm going to step in in obedience and choose Jesus. That's the invitation for you today. If you're, past, if you're, if you're in Jesus, number two is your new purpose is your proclamation. This is not an optional thing. This is not, I think, like, sometimes we think about this when it comes to evangelism. That's your gift, not mine. Proclamation, evangelism, sharing about God's kingdom, that's not an optional thing. It's not an optional thing. So these guys, they have a new, I love Andrew. He's got this new desire. He's got to go get his brother. He's got to get his brother in on this. So, you have a brand new purpose in Jesus. And God has designed his kingdom. The kingdom that Heritage Park is a part of. The kingdom that every church in the area and in the world is a part of. A kingdom that is designed to expand through the proclamation of that kingdom. This is how God, beautifully, how God has designed it. That his kingdom is expanded by the mouths of faithful disciples. To be faithful to this purpose and say, okay, Jesus is the one who has taken away my sin. And therefore, I'm going to have to proclaim that. Behold the Lamb. Look to Jesus. Look at him. Uh, so our proclamation becomes our new purpose. And it is how God has designed his kingdom uh, to spread. Another way to say it is this. That the bridge... Uh, that truth takes into our lives is the bridge of trusted relationships. The bridge of trusted relationships. That's how truth comes in. So in here, we've got between brothers, Peter and Andrew. And then we've got between friends, Nathaniel and Philip. The bridge the truth comes in is the bridge of trusted relationships that say, look at him. I want to bring you to the king. That's how God has designed it. So that we, who end every service saying that Jesus reigns over everything, that we can proclaim that so that others may come and see, and then so that those others may proclaim the same thing. That's the mission. That's the purpose. Proclaim so that they may come and see and proclaim the same thing. That's the process. We respond, and then we proclaim. That's the invitation in John chapter 1. To come and see, and then proclaim it to the world. So we're going to go into a time of communion now. And you can close your stuff up if you need to. Do whatever you need to do. We're going to come into a time of communion. What is communion? In light of this passage, it is this. It is a family meal... For people who have come and seen this Jesus, who has taken away our sin. Communion uh, is not a funeral service. It is done in remembrance, but it's also done in um, calling. That Jesus, this is what Jesus has done for me, and therefore I am different. Because just like we are undone in the presence of Jesus, Jesus was undone for us. Jesus was brought to the point of death by his, the breaking of his body and the spilling of his blood. So we break bread and we drink the cup. 
So this is a family meal. So we're gonna, you see the tables around the room, and you can actually get up and go get the elements and take it uh, together with your people. Uh, but keep this in mind that as you take communion, these elements, what do they represent? That Jesus was undone so that we could be made whole as a family of God under the name of Jesus. That's communion. So uh, let me pray, and then you are free to get up and go grab your elements, and then we'll continue in worship. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for what we can uh, gain from these interactions, what we can gain from the, the few and simple words you say, and the invitation to come and see. Lord, if there's anybody in this room who has not come and seen, Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they nail that down. And for us who have Jesus, I pray that we, as we take communion, as we think about your work, your finished work on the cross, Lord, help us to see and reflect what is your new purpose for us. What is our response? What, what do we need to put before you so that we can just um, latch ourselves onto your calling in life? Lord, we love you. Thank you for Jesus and what he has done on the cross, but also out of the grave so that we may know you. Lord, we love you. Pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.